regards to those things that do not change and the steadfastness of the gospel, that's what we look at this morning when we come here to John chapter 5 verse 24 is the resurrection and the power of Jesus to resurrect his people. We're going to read from verse 24 of John chapter 5 this morning through verse 30. Just a short passage and uh, we'll glean some truths from it. It says here in John chapter 5 verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. They have given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just." Because I will seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, there are both challenging and wonderful things to hear. Prepare our hearts, open our ears to hear the truth, to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great questions of life is what happens after death? What happens when we leave this earth? It's been a question around for centuries. One of the very earliest writings of the the Bible that we have, Job, says, If a man dies, shall he live again? He answers that, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. So even from the very early days of humanity, we have had an expectation that there is life after death. That something will happen when we leave this earth. Now this is not just a philosophical question. This isn't just a question, is there life after death for us to think about or to ponder in some philosophical way. It has very real implications. Every week we are reminded of the, the tragic suicide rate in our own country. We are still reminded almost every day and at least every week about the the deaths coming from COVID throughout our country. No one likes death, but we're surrounded by it. We can't escape it. The reasons and the causes of death are many. And just as many as the reasons and causes of death, so are the explanations or the opinions of people on the afterlife. Some believe that, that in what's called annihilation, that is when we die, it just, it just ends. There is nothing. We just cease. Some religions teach a, a kind of spirit waiting room where we leave this earth in spirit and we wait around for one last chance to hopefully find some good or bad ending to whatever happened in this life. 
course, many believe in the idea of reincarnation, that we come back as something else and continue our way through this never-ending journey. Or others believe that we are just simply absorbed into nature and become at one with all that is around us. So appealing is this idea of what happens after death, that we're constantly seeking to verify it, to see what might happen after death. Can somebody give us answers? Many years ago, an unusual combination of researchers, doctors and Hollywood got together and uh, I believe in England, in a hospital in, in England, uh, wanted to know uh, some answers from out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences. And so in a hospital room where they very often treated people that would, would die, they placed these LED signs way up toward the roof so that they could only be read by looking down. The experiment was an attempt to say if somebody had an out-of-body experience that they would be able to see, given that so often it said they looked down on themselves, be able to see what's written on these LED screens and be able to, to verify that they'd been out of their body and perhaps give us some answers. As far as I know, to date, nobody has been able to identify what's been on those LED screens. So we have the question, is there life after death... But then the question that naturally follows that is, if there is life after death, what's the purpose of it? Why? Why would there be life after death? Most would say that whatever life comes after death is about a reward for what you do in this life. If you've done well, maybe you get a, a nirvana or your own planet or, or some sort of reward for doing well in this life. So many believe that there is some kind of reward that you earn in eternity for it. Some, perhaps like the reincarnation and ideas of things, is that this life is to make you a better person. And so you'll come back as a better person next time. Now, while Jesus was on earth... He has demonstrated to us that he has both the authority and the power to deal with these things, but also the knowledge of what happens after death. Because he has the power and authority with all of these things, and he has proven it over and over again that he has it. We've seen some of those examples through the Gospel of John. Going to show us, Jesus is going to show us exactly what he means here. When we saw last week that Jesus says that he could make us alive. That he came to make a law. What does that mean? Jesus is about to explain that, and that's what this text we've just read is Jesus doing. So as we consider this idea, the first thought I have, and I really have two main thoughts which we'll think about in, in parts, is this, the truth of the resurrection. And by the truth of the resurrection, I don't mean the resurrection of Jesus. That is a very important, it's the foundation of everything we're going to talk about. But what we're talking about here is the resurrection of people. What happens to us when we die? Our text reads here in verse 24, says, Verily, verily, or truly, or most assuredly, I say to you, He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they shall hear, they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to exercise judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. 
here, as Jesus explains to us what he means by to make alive and that there is a truth to the resurrection, the idea that we will be made alive after this life, he makes for us a promise of life. There is a promise of life after death. After this life, there is more. Verse 25 is, is interesting. It, it gives us a, um, a tension here. There's an unusual tension. The Bible is not, uh, is not un- common with these tensions between two realities. But verse 25 says, The hour is coming and now is. Is it coming or is it now? And the answer is that it is both. That is both. That is, you can know life now and you can know life ahead. The hour now is when the dead shall live. That is an absolute truth that Jesus states for us here, that there is life now. The hour now is when the dead shall live. Now, there is a very real sense in which when Jesus says this, that the dead shall live now, there's a very real sense in which that is physically true. Jesus did, in fact, while he was on earth, raise several people from the dead. Luke records two of those, the widow of Nain's son and Jairus' daughter, both dead, that Jesus raises from, from the dead. And John records one in John chapter 11, Lazarus, who was dead for a number of days, and Jesus resurrected. So there is a very real sense in which when Jesus says here that the dead shall now live, he can make that happen, and he does indeed make that happen. But the reality of those physical resurrections, where Jesus actually raises a physical body from the dead, picture for us or illustrate to us a much greater reality. The reality of something, of a resurrection which is far greater and far more important, that Jesus came to give spiritual life now. To give spiritual life now. We noted as we've gone through John that the reason we need to be made alive is because we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we saw in Ephesians and see again, and you he had made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Even when we were dead in sins, has he made us alive together with Christ? And it is this lack of spiritual life, this deadness within us that causes so much of our turmoil and pain in this world. See, spiritual death is essentially, at its most fundamental, a separation of us from our God, from our Creator. Which means being separated from God is to be separated from the source of life. Jesus speaks to that a little bit more here as we come to it. Jesus came because he wants us to know life. John chapter 10, he'll explain this even a little bit more when he says, I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus isn't just about what happens later. So the gospel which tells us that there is life after death, that there is glory, that there is eternity, isn't just about what happens later. The gospel is also very much about life right now. 
in this very existence, in a world of depression and anxiety and fear and frustration and pain, Jesus gives life and joy and hope. So Jesus says here that there is, because of him, there is life now. But he also tells us in that verse that there is life to come. There is life to come. In, in one sense, we, we term it often like this, Jesus gives us this idea that there is life already, not yet. There's, there is life now, but we haven't seen the fulfillment of that life. There is still more to come. You can know life now that is already. But there are also aspects of this which are not yet. So Jesus says the hour is coming. Is coming. That has to do, as we will see in just a moment, has to do with a physical resurrection. The afterlife. Jesus has power over the spiritual and the physical death. In Romans chapter 8... Jesus is, or Paul is speaking about the, the, the trouble of sin in this life and the consequences of sin. And he says in verse 23, and not only they, which is not only the, the parts of nature which, which come under the curse of sin, your uh, weeds and thistles and, and, and all of that that comes along with the curse, not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. Waiting for the adoption, that is the redemption of our body. Paul is saying there's so many effects of sin all around us, and it's not just the earth that's waiting to be uh, rescued from the effects of sin, but, but us too. There is more to come. It's one of the reasons why, why I love the, the verses of Romans 8, verses 29 to 30 so much. In, the, in those verses, he tells us that we've been predestinated, and those that have been predestinated have been called, and those who have been called have been justified, and those who have been justified have been glorified. This is a, the, the stages, if you will, of what God does for us from beginning to end. Now, as we look at that and as we experience that, we see that in an already not yet sense. That is, I already know the call of God and the justification of God by being forgiven from my sins, but I don't yet know the glorification that is the completion of it. So while I look at the program of God and I see it in a, a form of already not yet, God looks at it and he sees it as already. It's done. As far as God is concerned, he sees you complete in him. There is life now and life to come. He gives the promise of life. And he can give the promise of life because he has the power of life. Verse 26, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Is the power to give life because he is the Lord of life. This is another one of Jesus' emphatic statements which irritates and inflames the situation with the religious leaders. They're looking at him and they're, they're, they're enraged by what he says because of the claim that he is making that he is the Lord of life. In this statement he is, just like he has before, claiming to be God and claiming to have the authority of God, of God over all things. Claiming to have the power of life. 
When Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, which is one of the great passages of the resurrection and the afterlife, he concludes that whole passage of what it means and says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't like us in the sense that we receive life. We do not have life in ourselves. We are given life. We are the recipients of life. Jesus says here that he is not like us and that he receives life. He says he is different from us in that he has life in himself. He is life. These verses are not saying that Jesus is created, that the Father gives him life. It's in regards to his humanity, how he lives on this earth, even in his humanity. So even when Jesus is not in his abode in heaven eternally, even when he was on earth in physical form, he still is given life-giving authority. He has the power of life. He is the Lord of life. And as the Lord of life, he is the life-giving Lord. Because he has life, because he has life in himself, he can give life both spiritually and physically. In one of the passages uh, in in Thessalonians that speaks of what happens in the the afterlife, says, For the Lord himself shall descend from, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Jesus has authority and power to give life absolutely. Without uh, any uh, uh, caveat to it, resurrection isn't a new concept. We began and seeing uh, even at the very earliest writings of the Bible in Job, we have the concept and the idea of the resurrection, that there is life after death. And so that runs through the whole Old Testament, the belief in the resurrection. In places like this and in other places that we will see through the Gospels, Jesus himself speaks of the resurrection, that we will be resurrected. Following on from the the Old Testament and from the teachings of Jesus, the apostles continue that teaching that there is a resurrection of people. In Acts 24, it says, And have hope toward God, which they themselves also, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. So the apostles, even through to to Paul and beyond, were teaching what Jesus taught, what the Old Testament anticipated. That is, that for everyone, there is a resurrection. For everyone, there is life after death. Not just for the good. Not just for those who earn it. So it's not a pick and choose. It's not some go to an eternity and some just disappear. The Bible teaches there is a resurrection for everyone. Every single person. God makes a promise, though, to those who believe that there is life now and there is life to come. Again, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes and says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make your mortal bodies alive by the Spirit that dwells in you. Again repeated in in 1 Corinthians. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. But why? We've already raised that question. First question is, is there a resurrection? Clearly, we've only taken a few minutes to be able to, to scan this thought. Jesus tells us that there is a resurrection. But why? Why is there a resurrection? To perform judgment. To perform judgment. In verse 27 says, And hath given him, that is the Father, given to the Son, authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. That is, Jesus is Lord of all. That all is an inclusive all. To everyone. Jesus tells us there is a resurrection for all. Why are we resurrected? Verse 22 of chapter 5. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Again, verse 27, we saw there is judgment to come. Now you say, at first, that doesn't sound very inviting or hope-filling. I'd rather have some other idea of resurrection that gives me hope, that says, you know, if I die, it's going to be going to be a blissful nirvana or something wonderful and glorious, or I get my own planet to rule over. You think, well, that sounds a whole lot better than being raised to judgment. Just wait, there's more to it. That is why we need to listen to Jesus carefully. Because of what is to come. Physical death is not the end for any of us. Every single one of us will stand before Jesus. Each and every one. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 it says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So there are two certainties. Death, judgment. For everyone. Believer, unbeliever. Those two things are true. Death, then judgment. And Jesus is the one who is uniquely qualified to be the judge. It says in verse 27 there, the reason that he is uniquely qualified to be the judge is because he is the Son of Man. Son of Man is an Old Testament term term in the time before Jesus was, was born and, and through the early days of humanity. It comes from Daniel chapter 9. It's a term that speaks of the deity of Jesus. It speaks of his equality with God. So throughout the Old Testament, it is, it is used as a, as a term of power, authority, and God-likeness of, of deity. It's a title that Jesus uses most for himself. To indicate his his deity. But it is also a term which expresses his humanity as the son of man. So while its original intent is to tell us that Jesus is indeed God, it also bears witness to the humanity of Jesus, which puts him in a very, very unique place. He is the only one who is fully God and fully man. 
and stands in a place where he has both the authority and the right to be able to judge and to stand over all. He can judge perfectly. In this judgment, where he is Lord of all and we stand before him, we stand in a place of either life or loss. Those are the two places, those are the two outcomes of this judgment. There is either life or loss. So what is this judgment about? Verse 29. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So what is this judgment about? This judgment is about your works. This judgment is about what you do. You say, oh, hang on a minute. Haven't you, even as we've been going all through this this Gospel of John, and even before that, and hasn't the tradition of this church been that the Bible tells us that salvation is not of works? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yes, that is absolutely true. Salvation has nothing to do with your works and the things that you do. But your works give evidence to life. But let's look more particularly here, because there's something more specific in mind here. Something more particular that Jesus is speaking of here. Not just our works in general, whether they're good or bad. Say, what what can I do that is good, or what can I do that is evil, that has eternal consequences? What sort of works could I possibly do that has an eternal consequence? Well, Jesus has already made that known, and John's recorded that for us already in John chapter 3, when he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So to do good is to believe Jesus. To do evil is to reject Jesus. That is the statement Jesus is making here. They that have done good, what is the ultimate thing that any of us can do that is good? Believe Jesus. To reject Jesus is the evil sin of rebellion. No other balance is used in this judgment. So when we stand before Jesus and stand as judge, there is no other weight that's used. There is no other standard that is used in this judgment. The standard that is used in the judgment is believe Jesus, reject Jesus. Those are the standards. Nothing in the middle. It's not about did you do any good works or did you do nice things or were you a nice person or did you do evil or bad things. There is no other balance given. Those who do good or who believe find resurrection to life, Jesus says here. Now, our sins and our iniquities, because we have believed in Jesus, are remembered no more. Because we have believed Jesus, the sin that separated us from God is forgotten, is put aside, remembered no more. 
In John chapter 14, when Jesus is telling us about why he needs to go and what he's going to be doing while, while he is away and we serve him here, he says he's going to prepare a place for us. And he tells us the reason he's going to prepare a place for us. And this is the great purpose of heaven. And this is the glory of what eternity is, that we might be with him. So the purpose of heaven and the purpose of this judgment and the purpose of all that isn't for a mansion in heaven or streets of gold or, or any of that. The purpose to be with God and to enjoy Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2.9 doesn't specifically have to do with eternity and heaven, but it can certainly apply. Eye hasn't seen nor ear heard the things that God has in store for his people. It's not specifically about heaven for eternity, but it certainly includes that. But those who do evil, that is those who reject, Jesus tells us here, are resurrected to damnation, to judgment of condemnation. This is the tragic reality. Revelation chapter 20 gives us just a small glimpse of what that is going to be. This is after God fulfills his, his program and he meets all of the things he needs to do. He says, and he saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Everyone, kings and princes and paupers, all risen to stand before God. And those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life, that is those who have said no to Jesus, were cast into the lake of fire which burns forever and ever. The tragic reality, and the Bible is very clear on this, hell is real. Nobody likes it, but it's real. And that is condemnation. That is the damnation that is ahead for those who reject Jesus. It's about sin. About dealing with sin for those who have believed Jesus... Our sin is forgotten. It's remembered no more. But for those who have rejected Jesus, our sin still stands. We still find ourselves under condemnation. Everyone wants to believe that heaven is real, yeah? Talk to anybody about the afterlife. See people at funerals or whatever, oh, they've gone to a better place. We all want to believe that heaven is real. But if heaven is real, so is hell. We can't pick and choose. We can't say, I want the good place, I don't want the bad place. That's not up to me to decide. So, here is the triumph of the resurrection. Verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming... So now we're talking about what is coming, not just what is. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. I cannot myself do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him which sent me. Here we find the proclamation of Jesus. How are the dead raised? By his voice. How are we given life? 
by his voice. Jesus is calling us to listen to his voice, to listen to his word. None of this should be surprising, Jesus says. We all know it's true. Believer, unbeliever, we all know that this, this is, is true. It's why we come up with so many ideas about what should be. That's why we have our, our own categories of what is good and what is evil. Because it's innate within us. It's why we have some sense within our own minds and within our own societies of just and unjust, fair and unfair. It's built within us. We just don't want to believe the bad bit is true. Every part of life is dependent on Jesus. Spiritually and physically, it is his word that gives life. All will be resurrected. And all will be resurrected at the sound of his voice. At the call of his word. All are given life through his word. If you want to hear the call of life, if you want to hear Jesus' voice call and raise you to life, then you need to listen to his word now. Because the other call is too late. We must hear his word now and believe Jesus as Savior. Believe he is the only one that can forgive from our sins and accept his forgiveness and find life and peace. This is why Paul could write in Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. If you find spiritual life now, you find eternal life later. If you reject spiritual life now, you find condemnation later. This is where we stand. So, live for him today. It's very clear, the Bible is very clear, that unbelievers, those who do not believe Jesus, and this is what Jesus has been telling us here, unbelievers are judged for their sin, our rejection of Jesus, our rebellion against him in sin. And so they are judged for sin. But the believer, those who have accepted Jesus, have taken his life, are forgiven of their sins. You are no longer judged for your sin. Your sin is taken care of. But you are still accountable to him. You are still accountable to Jesus. What have you done with the life that Jesus has given you? So the life that you found by believing Jesus, what are you doing with it? We're held accountable for that. Ephesians chapter 2, of course we know, so many of us are so familiar with verse 8 and 9, for grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But too often we stop there and forget that it flows right on and into verse 10, which says, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto or for good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So no, your salvation is not of works. It's all of grace. But it should definitely turn into works. And it's the works that that turns into that you're held accountable for. 
How did you live the life you were given? There's no condemnation to it, but there is accountability. That accountability of what we do with our life now comes out in what we have in the life beforehand in the way that we are rewarded or the worship that we are able to present to our God. Which is why Paul gives us such clear and passionate callings. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Press toward Jesus. Pursue him with all that you have. Do not waste this life. Don't waste your life. So Jesus reminds us of the purpose of judgment in verse 30, which includes this, to lead us to God. He is doing the Father's will. That is, warning us of the judgment that is to come. Gathering to himself a people for the glory of his name. So Jesus warns us and he directs us to avoid judgment to find forgiveness in him and be brought into, into reconciliation with the Father. So he leads us to life and joy. This is why Jesus died on the cross. His obedience to the Father paves the way for our salvation. Which means this. Like it or not, he is right. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree. But it's not up to you. He has the authority. He has the power. He is God. So like it or not, he's right. You may think it's not fair. You may think it's not fair. Why, why, can, why can one person who has tried their whole life to be good and live right and follow the rules and do everything come to the end of their life and be resurrected to condemnation and then another person who lived their life in filth and vile and evil and terror find forgiveness at the end of their life and then find eternity in heaven? Say, well, that's not fair. Like I tell my children... Life isn't fair. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is fair. What it says is that God is righteous. And that is something very different to fair. It is something far more magnificent than fair. Jesus says that he is just. Much like Abraham when he's looking at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and he recognizes with God, he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The answer to his question is a clear yes. He will do right. You may not think God is fair, but he is just. And he always does what is right. There is more than this life than these few short years on this planet. Just like this life, the purpose 
of the afterlife is about more than you. We don't live this life just for ourselves and we won't be living the afterlife for ourselves. You will be resurrected. No matter who you are, no matter what you you feel like in your life, you will be resurrected. What happens at that resurrection then is up to you now. In Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. It is do what you want. If you want to do what you want when you're young and live the way you want, go for it. But know this, that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Live how you want. Do whatever you want in this life. But know for certain, you'll be held accountable for it. Every single one of us. Jesus offers you the opportunity to escape judgment. To escape damnation and find life right now and in eternity. Seek him for forgiveness. Recognize that you need your sins forgiven. That that is what separates you from the source of life. That is what separates you from everything that is joyful and wonderful and good. Believer... Your destiny is settled in heaven. Having believed Jesus as Savior, having given your life to Him as Lord and pursuing Him, your sins are remembered no more. You're not going to be judged and condemned because you are at odds with God. You have been reconciled to Jesus Christ. There is no judgment for sin. Jesus paid that judgment on the cross. But you are held accountable for how you live this life that Jesus has given you. What you do with it. Living for Jesus now lays up treasures in heaven for you to worship him with in eternity. Remember, eternity isn't about me. It's about Jesus. So as I live for him now, I am storing up treasures ahead of me to worship him then. So don't waste your life. Live it for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. There is no doubt that this is a heavy topic to address. It is, for all of us, on one hand, terrifying. And for some of us, also, on the other hand, wonderful. Help us to see its truth, its reality. To recognize one day we will give account for what we did on this earth. Whether we have believed or rejected. I pray, dear God, that this morning if there is anyone here who is still living under your condemnation, having not received Jesus as Savior, that today your spirit would be at work drawing them to your side. Opening their eyes to truth. And for we as believers, help us to remember to press toward the mark, to pursue you in this life because of the life to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.